Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Well, I would like to focus your attention this morning on one particular character trait that is arguably the single most important trait for Christian service. In fact, the development of this particular characteristic is so important to Christian ministry that I I dare say if you do not possess it, you will limit the amount of assignments you will be given by Christian leaders, let alone by God himself. Whatever you want to do for the Lord, be it in your local church here at Christ's Covenant, as a church officer, a missionary, a member of the hands team, Christ kids, uh, covenant kids uh, team member, whatever it is, whatever you want to do in your vocation as a doctor, a nurse, a CEO, or any other job you might want to have, whatever you want to do in your family, if you do not possess this quality, you're going to limit your potential future. It's just that simple. To be qualified, to be successful in your endeavors, you must possess this quality. And the quality to which I'm referring, of course, is faithfulness. Paul said, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man or person be found faithful. So what comes to mind when you hear the word faithfulness? How do you picture it, this important piece of the fruit of the Spirit? This is one of those words that seems to mean so many things that it's hard to grasp. But in reality, it's quite simple to understand, as I trust you will see in a moment. Now, perhaps you're thinking, well, I don't know that I really need to hear another message on being faithful after all. I read my Bible every day. I attend church twice a week. I hardly ever am late for anything. I always tell the truth. Well, almost always. I even brush my teeth after every meal. Well, may I suggest that if that's your attitude, you may need to consider what I have to say more than you realize. I say this because, as a general rule, the more faithful we become, the more we realize how unfaithful we have been. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, Solomon said, but a faithful person who can find. Faithfulness is something that's always been valued in biblical leaders. The Old Testament saints like Moses, Abraham, David, Daniel, Nehemiah were all said to be faithful. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would identify some of his ministry friends as Faithful, Timothy, Epaphras, Tychicus, Onesimus, Silvanus. But who's our greatest example in the New Testament? Who's our greatest overarching example of faithfulness? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Who the Bible says was faithful in his whole house, in all of his house. Faithfulness was the fundamental element of his character, He did what he came to do. He didn't let the difficulty of his task keep him from doing what he was sent to do. 
What was this difficult task he was sent to do? The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to die for sins. You and I were born sinners. The minimum penalty for our sin is death, hell. Jesus Christ came to be a substitute. He paid the penalty for sinners like you and me and anyone else who would believe in him so that we might get the credit for his righteousness. See, in order to get into heaven, it's not enough that you just don't sin. You've got to be 100% righteousness. You've got to have a gazillion dollars worth of righteousness in your bank account to make it into heaven, and you don't have that. So Jesus dies on the cross. He pays the penalty for sin, and then he puts into the heavenly bank account of those who believe in him the righteousness, the gazillion dollars worth of righteousness that's necessary to get into heaven. That is fundamentally, that was fundamentally his task, his responsibility. Now, people in leadership usually understand the importance of faithfulness. King David was one of them. He said in Psalm 101, My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. David wanted faithful people in his court. One summer during my college years, I applied for a job at the college. And uh, after I got the job, I asked my boss, how much am I going to make? He said, Lou, we're going to start you with $3.50 an hour. And after 30 days, if you do a good job, we'll let you keep it. If you're an employer, you cannot afford to hire an unfaithful man or an unfaithful woman. Proverbs 25.19 warns, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a foot out of joint. It's like a broken tooth. You cannot depend upon it. You cannot trust unfaithful individuals. I had a college professor who used to say something really interesting as he would hand out the syllabi in the beginning of the course. He would say, don't expect to get an A in this class if you simply fulfill all the requirements on the syllabi. If you really want an A, you should plan to go above and beyond what I've asked. You may get an A if you do everything I asked, but if you really want to guarantee that you'll get an A, you need to go above and beyond the call of duty. Now let's consider the parable of the talents found in Matthew 25. I'd like to uh, unpack three aspects of faithfulness, three elements that can be seen in this parable. Let's consider verse 14 first. For it, the kingdom of heaven, is just like a man about to go on a journey, and he called his own slaves, and here's the operative term, entrusted, entrusted to them his possessions. Now, the Greek word paradidomi in this context means to commit, to give someone a responsibility. The first thing you have to understand about faithfulness is that it, it involves your receiving a responsibility, a stewardship, if you please. 
God has entrusted you with a variety of specific responsibilities. These responsibilities may be in the form of gifts or abilities or talents or tasks, vocational duties or ministry. So we all have received responsibilities that have been assigned to, assigned to us by God directly or indirectly through his agents. Now, of course, there are two types of responsibilities, right? There are those we enjoy doing and those we don't enjoy doing. Now, I don't know about you, but the odds are at the end of every week, those responsibilities that I didn't do are those responsibilities that I probably didn't want to do in the first place. A faithful Christian fulfills his responsibilities whether he wants to or not, whether he feels like doing it or not. An unfaithful person does what he feels like doing, doesn't do what he doesn't feel like doing. But when I do something, I don't feel like doing something. I, I feel like such a hypocrite. Is God really pleased with that kind of faithfulness, with that kind of obedience? It all depends on your motives. It may be a greater manifestation of your love for the Lord if you obey him when you don't feel like doing it than when you're happy to do it. You see, it's not a matter of hypocrisy to feel one way and act another. It's a matter of responsibility. First thing I did this morning, I got out of bed. You think I felt like getting out of bed this morning? So am I a hypocrite because I, I got out of bed? No, it's not hypocrisy to feel one way and do something else. It's hypocrisy to profess one thing and do something else. If I were to stand here this morning and say, I just love getting out of bed this morning. Okay, then I'm a hypocrite. But to go against your feelings is not hypocrisy. Someone has defined responsibility this way, knowing and doing what God and others are asking or expecting of me. Do you know what God and others are expecting of you? So I want you to ask yourself right now, with what stewardships have I been entrusted? What responsibilities has God directly or indirectly given to me? Let me give you a few to consider. To grow in Christ. Huh? Yeah. It's my responsibility to grow in Christ. Well, progressive sanctification is a work of the Spirit, but it's one that requires your cooperation. You're supposed to use all the means of grace that God has given you so that you can grow. You just don't sit back and say, okay, God, I'm a Christian. Now zap me. You don't grow that way. How about to be the loving leader of your home? How about to live with your wife in an understanding way? How about to be a respectful, submissive, suitable help with your husband? How about to teach the scriptures to your children, to lead them to Christ? How about to honor and obey your parents? How about to be a faithful employee or employer at work? How about to serve others in ministry? To actively participate, that is, use the spiritual gifts that God has given you at Christ's covenant church. What did he give you those gifts for? He gave them to you so that, not so you could build your own reputation, he gave you those gifts so that you could edify the body of Christ, those of you who are members of Christ's covenant. How about to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ to those who have not heard? Let's look next at verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Now, it's not ability that counts because God has given us gifts and talents, as the text said, according to our abilities. 
Rather, it's what we do with these abilities that God has given us that matters in God's economy. The text continues. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went out and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more, but he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The words settled account are the second building block of faithfulness. It's the principle of accountability. King James Version renders the phrase settled accounts as reckoneth with them. You and I will be held accountable for faithfully uh, fulfilling the responsibility with which God responsibilities with which God has entrusted us. The same phrase is translated in Matthew 18.23 as settling accounts. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. Do you see? Accountability is biblical. The fact is we're all accountable to someone. The people I counsel at some level are accountable to me. I'm accountable to the elders of Christ's covenant church. The elders of Christ's covenant church are accountable to you, the congregation. Of course, in some things, we are only accountable to God, but the Bible is clear. So then, every one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, one of the most important things or significant things about principle number two is that without it, there could be no principle number three. Principle number three is arguably the best principle in the lot. It's the principle of rewards. You and I will be rewarded according to our faithfulness or according to our unfaithfulness. Back to our text. And the one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you've entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. His master said to him, here comes the reward, well done, you good and faithful slave. He gets commended. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge. Note that phrase, put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I've gained two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Good and faithful. What's that about? Goodness has to do with what I am, including my motives. Faithfulness has to do with what I do, assuming that my motives are right. So the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Part of our reward is commendation. But there's another part of our reward, and this is what I really want you to see. A much more important part of our reward, when we execute our responsibilities faithfully, and really even if we don't, has to do with the additional responsibilities we receive, whether or not we get additional responsibilities. Faithfulness results in our receiving a future reward based on the fulfillment 
of past responsibilities. If you faithfully fulfill the responsibilities God's given you, you'll be honored not only in the sense of commendation, but you'll be rewarded with additional responsibilities. And that begins the next process of the accountability, the next step, I should say, in the accountability process. Now, I hope I can do this without tripping over this the way I did before the service this morning. Um, I want you to look at this as though it were a stairway, okay? So the first, made it, first step on the stairway, okay, that's the initial responsibility. You're given a responsibility by God, and then you uh, attempt to fulfill that responsibility. Now, this next piece here, this is called the riser, the section that connects the first step to the bottom, second step, right? It's called a riser in construction terms. The riser is accountability. You will receive, uh, I'm sorry, you will be held accountable for the responsibilities that you fulfilled, whether you've done them successfully, faithfully, dutifully, or not. So responsibility, accountability, and then the next step is reward. Now, part of that reward is commendation, but what else is part of that reward? Guess what? Part of the reward is you're going to be given additional responsibilities, right? And then what happens? Well, then there'll be another accountability and then another reward with additional responsibilities. Do you see how this works? Again, if you don't get anything else from this message, please understand this. If you don't faithfully fulfill the responsibilities you've been, you've been given, already been given, you will not be entrusted or rewarded with greater responsibility. See, there's a negative aspect to this principle too. Look at verse 24. The one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talents in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave! You knew that I reaped where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seeds. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The unfaithful slave received condemnation rather than commendation. Instead of receiving additional responsibilities, the, ref the few responsibilities that he had were taken, were removed from him, as the Greek says. The wages of unfaithfulness is the loss of responsibility. So here's a definition of faithfulness extrapolated from the aforementioned uh, passage. Faithfulness is demonstrating to God and to others that I can be trusted with more and more responsibilities based on my past performance. That is based on the dutiful fulfillment of my prior responsibilities. Everyone, Jesus said, to whom much is given them, him will much be required. And from him who they have entrusted much, they will demand the more. Does that make sense? 
But what does it mean to be faithful? I mean, like in plain English, can you give me a synonym for faithfulness? Sure, it's simple. If you're faithful, it means that you're trustworthy. It means that you're dependable. It means that you're reliable. Whenever you see the word faithful in the Bible, one of those three synonyms will probably fit. That's the big idea. Now, we can find these three elements or principles of faithfulness in another passage of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 3, for example, Paul is attempting to deal with the carnality of some in the church who seem to have been following certain men rather than following Christ. He says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and another is building upon it. Paul was sort of like a general contractor who used to specialize in pouring concrete. He would go into a city, scope out the territory, design a blueprint for a local church based, of course, on the specs given him from his boss, lay the foundation, and then turn the rest of the building over to faithful men. The things which you have received from me, you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In this case, it was pastors and teachers and evangelists. He laid the foundation, turned the job over to these fellows, these subcontractors, if you please, and then moved on to the next town. And by the way, if you ever want to verify the truthfulness of, 20, of Proverbs 20 and verse 6, a faithful man who can find, ask a general contractor. It's so hard to find faithful people. So here's the first principle of faithful in this passage. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. Paul's going now from his own personal experience to that of his readers. He's saying, I do this in the context of the church, but he's exhorting his readers to, he's exhorting y'all to imitate his example of faithfulness. He says, each of you, and then later on he says, any man, over and over again. He's saying, in essence, there's a bigger picture here. Each of you are building your own building you're not only building the church of Christ, but you're building a life that's meant to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. It's your responsibility to build your life on the foundation of Christ because he is the foundation. He's the only foundation. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul wanted to be sure that the foundation was laid correctly. Why? Because he knew the whole structure depended on the foundation. So he personally oversaw its construction. But once the foundation was laid, he found other faithful workers and assigned to them the responsibility of finishing the project. And you, y'all, are his workers. You've been given the responsibility of helping to build Christ's church. You've been given the responsibility also of constructing a life that will bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone, in verse 12 and 13, now if any man builds upon this foundation with gold and silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straws, each man's work will become evident. Here comes principle number two, accountability. For the day will show it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire itself will test the quality. I will test the quality of each man's work. Someday, you and I will give an account to God 
for the manner in which we constructed our building? Did we use those precious materials that could withstand fire? What were our motives? How did we construct the building? How did we conduct ourselves during those jobs? How faithfully did we serve? Here's the final principle. If any man's work which he builds upon remains, he shall receive a, what? Let me hear it. Reward. The New Testament speaks often of the rewards that we'll receive in heaven. One of the most common ways it describes these rewards is as crowns, crowns of righteousness, crowns of life, crowns of exaltation, crowns of glory. But we will be rewarded in heaven someday for the way that we built, the way we constructed, our, conducted ourselves down here, the way we helped construct the church of Jesus Christ. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. So again, here we have a negative reward. Not the loss of eternal life, but the loss of some portion of our heavenly reward. Your reward in heaven will correspond to the quality of material you're using right now to complete your building. Now, what's the greatest obstacle to faithfulness? Have you ever considered that? What's the opposite of faithfulness? Let's go back to Matthew 25, take another look, because the passage basically tells us. What's the opposite of faithfulness? See if you can figure it out. And the one who also, who had received the one talent, came up and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. I went away, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Here it comes. But his master said to him, answered to him, and said, You wicked lazy slaves. The first two slaves were told that they were good and faithful. The last guy was told something very different. What's the opposite? Good and faithful, wicked and lazy. What's the opposite of good? Wicked in the passage, right? Right. What's the opposite of faithful? Lazy, exactly. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Laziness is not the only thing, but it's probably the, the single most important thing that keeps most of us from being faithful. And one of the chief characteristics of the lazy person is that he's filled with excuses. I was afraid, and I hid your money, because I knew that you were a harsh, demanding, exacting kind of boss. People make excuses also because they're afraid. In the Bible, you see this connection a lot, fear and laziness. The slothful says, there's a lion outside. I'm going to be slain if I go in. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. I was afraid and I hid your money. So fear and laziness often go together in the scriptures. Excuses, of course, began where? In the garden. The woman you gave me. She gave me, and I ate. And they continue to this day. Now, as a counselor, as I'm sure you can imagine, I have to deal with excuses regularly. In fact, one of my biggest jobs as a biblical counselor is to disabuse people of their unbiblical excuses. And I get them all the time. Perhaps the most popular one I hear is, I can't. 
I can't understand, let alone lead my wife. I can't forgive him. I can't respect my husband. I can't bring my children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I can't stop this habit. I can't do this. I can't do that. My typical response to them, to them is this. You can't say can't as a Christian. What do you mean? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If God says you can, you must in fact do something like love your wife or submit to your husband or raise your children, whatever, deal with that sinful habit. If he says that you must do it, then if you're a Christian, you can do it, or at least you can learn to do it. Sometimes I'll soften, I'll say, you can learn to do all things that God requires of you. But you can't say can't. Well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I don't know, I say. I don't know much about dogs. I'm not a dog trainer. Maybe you're right about that. But I know the Bible says over and over again that if you're a person, if you're a Christian, you can and must change. And you can change at any age. You know, I'm an old dog. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you got to stop and think the fact that God saved some of the biggest changes in life for old age. Your body starts betraying you, as I'm finding out. You know, your friends get sick. People die. Everything happens when you get older, right? So uh, arguably, you're more prepared to handle change at old age than you are when you're younger. But that's just the way I am. Well, you'll just have to be different, won't you? You don't know what it's like to live with a woman like mine. Well, that may be true, but I know what the Bible says about how you ought to live with the woman with whom, to whom you're married. All I essentially have to know is what the Bible says I need to do to glorify God in any given circumstance. I mean, after all, some of the best obstetricians in the world are men. Let that one sink deep down into your ears. And then there's the I don't know but genre of excuses. Uh, I'm sorry, the I know but genre of excuses. I know what the Bible says, but. I know I shouldn't speed, but I just put twin turbocharges on my new Jaguar. I know it's wrong to overeat, but if I don't eat it, it will go to waste. It will go to waste one way or the other. If it's a sin to waste food, it's a double sin to waste it by gluttony. I know I should control my temper, but my wife doesn't seem to understand anything else but screaming and yelling. I know I should obey my parents, but they're out of touch with reality. I know I shouldn't miss church, but the television evangelist holds my attention better than Jason does. I know I shouldn't be late for class, but I squeezed the toothpaste too hard and had a tough time getting it back in the tube. I know, but, 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 but. I, I once heard a preacher refer to these kinds of Christians as Billy Groat Christians, right? But, but, but. What excuse-making Christians are really saying is this. Please excuse me from fulfilling my biblical responsibility because my case is different. And the Bible says, oh no, your case is not different. There's no temptation that's overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Lots and lots and lots, millions of other Christians have gone through the same kinds of thing you're going through. God is what? Faithful. Now you know what it means. 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will make a way to escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's consider next the three tests of a faithful man. These tests are found in the parable of the unjust steward that Lauren just read for us, Luke chapter 16. Incidentally, you can find the three principles of faithfulness in this passage also. The unjust steward, a little bit up further, the beginning of the chapter, right? The unjust steward was given a responsibility, a stewardship. Then he was held accountable, given account of your stewardship, and then he was rewarded for his unfaithful practices by losing his stewardship. Check it out this week. So what are the three tests of a faithful man or woman? First, a faithful man or woman is faithful in little things. He was faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. And he was unrighteous in a very little thing, is unrighteous also in much. Little things are important to God. How faithful are you in little things? Little things like promises that you made. Is your yes, yes, and your no, no? The Bible says, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change will never be shaken. The ministries that you have assumed at Christ's covenant. The thank you notes that are weeks overdue. Like good table manners you forgot to practice. Like keeping your car clean. Little things like returning telephone car calls. Little things like household repairs. Little things like responding to those emails you really didn't want to receive in the first place. I haven't found it yet, but I'm looking. There's got to be a loophole in Scripture for returning unsolicited emails. I don't know. Little things like reading the directions on something before you try to assemble it. Like learning and practicing good grammar. I can't believe it. I misspelled one word on the term paper, misplaced two commas, and the prof took a whole letter grade off of my paper. So what if the one word I misspelled was the prof's name? Little things are important to God. The second test of a faithful man is faithfulness in finances. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? Now, very important. The word riches is not in the Greek, okay? It's not in the original. If, therefore, you have not been faithful in the use of your money, Jesus says, who will commit the truth? To you. If you don't handle your finances right, you're going to have a difficult time applying the Bible to your life. Did you know that Jesus said more about finances than about heaven and hell put together? You know that there's a connection between the way we handle our finances and the way we handle Scripture. In, uh, I, I wrote a book, a little booklet on faithfulness. I think it's going to be a picture at the end of what the book looks like. But in there, I, I have a little chart, and I, I compare the difference between the connection between not being faithful in money and being faithful in money and not being faithful in, with the truth, not being able to uh, understand and apply the truth, not being able to handle money biblically. 
The third test of a faithful man is faithfulness in that which is another's. If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Stewardship involves the management of another person's goods. Why are in stewards that a man be found faithful, right? A steward is one who's entrusted with the management of property or finances or other affairs that are not his own. Whose affairs are you managing? God's? Your spouse's? Your employer's? The leadership at Christ's covenant? I had a professor whose personal policy it was to never borrow anything without giving it back in better condition than the condition in which it was when he borrowed it. He might have painted it or cleaned it or fixed it somehow, but he wouldn't give it back to the person from whom he borrowed it unless it were in better condition than he picked it up. Did you ever stop to consider how many things Jesus borrowed? He borrowed a manger. He borrowed food. Remember the fish and the bread? He borrowed boats and cups. He borrowed a colt. He borrowed an upper room. He even borrowed a tomb. And you can be sure that he returned and instructed his disciples to return those things in proper condition. Well, do you have a clearer understanding now of what it means to be faithful than you did 35 minutes ago? I hope so. To review, the first is the working definition. Demonstrating to God and others that I can be trusted with greater and greater responsibilities based on the faithful execution of my former responsibilities. Then there are the three principles of faithfulness. What are they? What's the first one? Responsibility, bottom step. What's the riser? Accountability, what's the first step, the, the second step? All right, good. And then there are the three synonyms, right, for uh, faithfulness. They are trustworthiness, dependability, and reliability. Okay, good. Well, that's the kind of person that I look for when I'm training people to be biblical counselors. That's the kind of person that the leadership, that the elders of Christ's Covenant Church are looking for to put in ministry. That's the kind of person that God is looking for to serve him. It's like Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who enabled me. See, this is not something we do, this faithfulness thing. It's not something we do on our own. We must depend upon the old Holy Spirit. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who enabled me, counting me faithful and putting me into ministry. Okay, we're done. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for these passages that we've studied today. Lord, it... it, it it seems complex to be faithful, but really when you break it down into bite-sized pieces, it's not so hard to understand, but it's very important. We need to be dependable. We need to be reliable. We need to be trustworthy. Our yes needs to be yes. Our no needs to be no. And Father, we confess to you that we have not been faithful as we should. 
but Lord, we must ask your forgiveness for our unfaithfulness or undependability, unreliability, and look to you to give us the wisdom, the grace, the strength to be faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us. You promised in James to give us the wisdom to do what's hard to do, like cultivate faithfulness. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, should be given him if he asks in faith. You promised in Philippians 2, 13 and 14 to give us the ability and the desire to do what is right. And so we pray that you give that to us. Um, it is God, the Holy Spirit, who works in us to make us willing and to make us able to do his good pleasure. And Lord, we understand that we need the wisdom ahead of time. But the ability and the desire comes not as we wait for you to zap us with something from heaven, but as we step out in faith. For indeed, you've said, it is the doer of the word that will be blessed in the doing. He'll be blessed in the process of doing. Help us, Lord, to see our unfaithfulness. Help us to depend upon you to become day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, faithful stewards of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678 678- 951-9041 or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com